What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Backwards Hat Podcast. I'm so excited for today. There's been a lot of uh, crazy things happen over the last couple of days, and um, couldn't be more excited to get going. I'm in a new setting right now. Um, this is the third different place I've done the podcast, so I did it uh, at home in the closet to keep Griffin from waking up. Did it up in another office in a different building, and now I'm in my own office. Um, so trying to get used to the different settings, but it's going to be a fun episode today. Before we keep going, make sure to follow us on social media, uh, like our Facebook page. That way, if you want, you can see um, you know you can see updates like this. That way, anytime I go live or anytime I post, you'll be able to see those. Follow us on Twitter at Backwards Hat Pod. We are also on Instagram. Uh, text us on WhatsApp. We got our first WhatsApp text today. So text us on WhatsApp at 317-798-9969. And lastly, we are on TikTok and LinkedIn as well. So with all that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the Backwards Hat Podcast. All right, so the first thing that I want to do is go over my review of the college football playoff championship. It was such a great game, but what really surprised me, to be completely honest, is the dominance of LSU. I know if any of you follow Clay Travis, he's on um, he's on Fox Sports Radio in the morning, does a show called Lock It In in the afternoon for gambling picks, and to be completely honest, what regardless of what you feel about him, he... He's a complete SEC bias. He lives in Nashville. He's a Tennessee fan. He's SEC everything. And all year long, I've been wanting to fight him on this whole SEC dominates the world. But when you look back at the statistics about how dominant the SEC has been, and when you look back, honestly, especially over the Big Ten, because I'm a Big Ten fan. Obviously, I'm an Ohio State fan. So, you know, it's it's really tough for me to swallow the fact that they have been so dominant. But when you look at the way they dominated the second half of that game, it was just stupid. I mean, a lot of people are saying Joe Burrow is having the best, the single greatest um, game from, or single greatest season from a quarterback in history. And I mean, honestly, I tend to agree. So when you look statistically, you can always look at stats. I mean, there are guys that have had great stats. I'm, I remember, you know, the QBs from like Texas Tech and Hawaii, I guess you could argue yards and touchdowns wise they do, but you have to look at the complete dominance that the team has had. And when I look at LSU this year, there were a couple of games that they had close. I mean, I get that. Um, The teams that I liked also had close games as well. So I think when you put together how LSU pretty much ran train through the SEC, and then dominated Clemson in the second half of that championship game. I don't think it's, I don't think it's very far fetched to say that they potentially have one of the greatest college teams of all time. Uh, but I think Joe Burrow definitely put on a top three season in the history of college football quarterbacks. He just everything just looks stupidly easy for him. So, um, so that was really cool to see. Another bit of news from college football today. So Travis Etienne from Clemson, their running back, he actually declared, not for the draft, he declared that he was going to come back for his senior year, which is a big deal. He's the number four uh, four ranked running back behind Jonathan Taylor, uh, J.K. Dobbins, and uh, DeAndre Swift from Georgia. So that's a big deal for him. He would definitely go in the top two rounds. So um, that's 
good for Clemson because now I think that they're going to be the odds-on favorite to win the championship next year, uh, especially with him coming back. They probably would be with Trevor Lawrence anyways. But, yeah, I, I want to look ahead a little bit to next year. It's never too soon to start looking ahead. So, realistically, I think Clemson and Ohio State are both going to be back in the playoff. Um, I mean, you have Justin Fields was a top top four Heisman finalist. Um, it does suck that we're losing JK Dobbins, but they just, it feels like they replenish running backs every year. Like it's like, it's nobody's business. So Ohio state's going to be, um, you know, they're going to be really good. They have Sean Wade coming back, which is huge for their secondary. I know everyone knows Chase Young was the big dog on campus, but I think only Ohio state fans or people that really closely watch football could see how much of an impact that he had. Um, especially being out against uh, against Michigan, and then just seeing um, the way that Clemson did uh, the, uh, did in the second half uh, when he had been ejected. I mean, it's just a completely different game when Sean Wade's not in. So that's going to be huge for them. So Clemson and Ohio State. Um, I haven't really looked ahead to the SEC because honestly, every year Alabama's good. Um, which is, you know, they're going to be right there at the top. I don't know how LSU is going to be because, you know, obviously they're having a quarterback that just put on one of the greatest seasons of all time that he's going to be going to the draft. And so, you know, it's it's always kind of a crapshoot in the SEC for who's going to come in, you know, two through seven because their recruiting is just so ridiculous. I think it was something like six of the top eight recruiting classes were SEC and the only two that weren't were Clemson and Ohio state. So it just goes to show you how, um, you know, how competitive the sec is. I've, I've fought against that narrative for the last few years trying to say, Oh, well, yeah, of course they're the best because, you know, people just, people just throw that title on them. But when you look at their records against other conference, it's, it's just stupid. So Yeah. The SEC is going to be interesting to watch. I'll say Alabama is going to be right there. Georgia is going to be right there. Um, there were three other schools that had really, really dominant recruiting classes. So we'll see about that. I don't know if you'll get two teams out of the SEC again. You might get a Big 12 if you know Oklahoma gets hot again and has one loss or no losses. I mean, that could always be how it goes. Uh, Pac-12 pretty much has to go undefeated if they want to have a shot of getting into the playoff. It kind of sucks for them. And you always, I think I heard it earlier a a couple months ago that the Pac-12 commissioner is kind of acting like he's not in favor of uh, college football playoff expansion. And I'm like, the only shot that your conference has of getting into the playoffs is by expansion, whether it's to six teams or eight teams or 12 teams, that's the only shot. Cause if it stays at four, almost every single year, unless you have a team like Oregon or USC, just dominate your conference and go undefeated they're they're never going to put a one loss pack 12 team in over a one loss, big 12 or a one loss, big 10, one loss sec. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So, so I, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen with those couple of conferences, I do think Clemson is going to walk their way into the playoff again, and Ohio State's going to have a really good year um, in the in the Big Ten. I'm sure Penn State will give them a little bit of fits, but um, yeah, so they're going to be good. Wisconsin's always going to be good, although they are losing Jonathan Taylor. So yeah, so that's 
kind of what I have right now for the playoffs next year. I mean, we have a whole year, so um, NFL playoff preview. So I am super pumped for the playoffs this weekend. Um, we have the Titans taking on the Chiefs. And the Chiefs kind of came back to life last week. I said this on Monday, but I feel like everyone kind of didn't write them off. Like they were 12 and four. You can't write off a team that's 12 and four. But I also do think that they were kind of an afterthought. So it was kind of like, you know, the dominance of the Ravens. And then, you know, you had Derrick Henry stole the spotlight in the first couple of games. And I don't think anyone was really talking about the Chiefs. And then they put up 51 on the Texans with a healthy J.J. Watt. So, yeah, I really think that um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good game. I am actually going to take the Titans in this one because they have a better defense and there is a humongous correlation between dominant running teams that also have very good defenses and postseason success. There's just it's the bottom line. The Titans have figured out that formula since Tannehill's taken over they've just been unbelievable and I know everyone wants to say in today's NFL you cannot not throw the ball and win ball games and I mean shoot the Titans dominated the Ravens last week it was it Tannehill's had under 100 yards in both games something like that I mean I don't know the exact stat but if you have a back as dominating as Derrick Henry why can you not do that so I'm going to take them because I don't think the Chiefs have a very good defense I think that Derrick Henry is going to expose them. They're going to shorten the game, give Patrick Mahomes less possessions to work with, which, as we saw, if you give the Chiefs more possessions than they need, then, I mean, the Texans started doing that, and, you know, what do they do? Put up four touchdowns in, you know, a quarter or just under a quarter. So, yeah, the Chiefs are a ridiculously high-powered offense, but I think the Titans have a smarter defense, a better defense, and – right now the best running back in the league so at the end of the day i just think that they're gonna i think they're gonna win so and then on the other side we have the 49ers taking on the packers and i'm really intrigued to see this one because i feel like the 49ers have kind of been a team that it's like they don't really have a bunch of superstars like they have really good dudes but they don't have anyone that everyone consistently talks about I mean, like you have the Packers, who obviously have Aaron Rodgers. But – and then last week I also said I think the old dog was going to get it done in Aaron Rodgers. I think he gets it done again. I just think there's something about having that quarterback, um, you know, that not the old guy. He's, he's not old, but he's very well seasoned. And I, I just think they're going to get it done. I think there's something to be said about that. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is having a phenomenal year. Um, he's certainly been talked about a lot. Uh, a lot of what he's done, obviously everything gets aided by having a good defense. I, I don't think that you can understate having a good defense. But at the end of the day, I, I'm just going to say Aaron Rodgers is getting it done. He's going to figure it out. He's going to get it done. So that's what I have to say about that. This – Combine this next subject combines a little bit of NFL with a little bit of college football. So if anyone watched the championship on Monday, obviously we've seen it all over the news this week. Odell Beckham Jr. First of all, gets caught handing out cash to players after the game. And then in the locker room, he slaps a cop on the butt 
and the cop decided not to arrest him on the spot for, I think they called it simple battery. Um, didn't arrest him on the spot because he didn't want to cause a scene while the players were uh, partying after the game. And then the police had issued a warrant for his arrest for that. And I know people are all up in arms, whatever. But I just don't understand why wide receivers in the NFL are so freaking stupid. Like, you have Antonio Brown. You have now Odo Beckham Jr. has been a train wreck ever since he, you know, rose to popularity. He just does some every, he's doing something stupider than yesterday every single day. Him and Antonio Brown. He's not on Antonio Brown's level, but it's like one A, one B. So um, it, they just literally do something stupider every single day. And it's wide receiver. Why are wide receivers like that? Like you look back through the history and all the dudes that are just complete morons that you can think of. It's always wide receiver. Like what do we have? Chad Johnson or Ocho Cinco now, you know, Terrell Owens, and you got Antonio Brown and OBJ. It's just, what is wrong with wide receivers? Are they messed up in the head? Like, are they getting hit more than we actually think? And their CTE is like a lot more quicker onset than someone else. Like, I don't understand why they do such dumb stuff, but they're all such divas. And I apologize if any of my listeners are wide receivers. I completely apologize. I played wide receiver in high school, so I, if anyone, I'm talking about myself. But these dudes, like, they demand to be – every time you have a good year, it's I want to be the highest paid. And then they have a good year, and all of a sudden they feel like they're the quarterback. Like, they do stuff that I feel like only a quarterback should maybe get away with. Like, mouthing off at a coach, I don't think anyone should be allowed to do that maybe a quarterback can get away with it. But I feel like wide re- wide receivers in the last couple of years have just gone off the rails. So OBJ is a moron. And then you got Jamel Hill on ESPN who, I mean, she basically defends everything that anyone does. She Her opinions, every single opinion she has, I feel like most people with common sense have the exact opposite opinion. So she put out a tweet on – I can't remember if it was Monday or at some point during the week, but it was basically saying that if you have a bigger problem with OBJ handing out cash to these players than you do Dabo Swinney and Ed Orgeron getting paid a million dollars in bonus for uh, coming walk or getting to the championship, then you're probably a Fed. And it's like, are you freaking kidding me? How stupid do you have to be to defend OBJ handing out cash on live TV? You can debate all you want. You can debate all you want on whether or not athletes should be paid or if they shouldn't be. I I can see both sides of that. I am dead center 50-50. I do not think they should be paid to play, but I think they should be able to profit off of their own name. But that's a whole other rabbit trail that I'm sure I can go down at you know a different time. But this in particular, the fact that she's defending OBJ and saying, if you're mad about it, you're the problem. No, you're the problem for acting like that, that. Like that's okay. Just because we have laws, just because we think the law is stupid, doesn't mean that we can just go out and break it because that's a stupid law. Like, oh, hey, I think doing crack is a terrible thing, but or that's a terrible law. So I'm just going to go do it. Like, you're still going to jail because it's a law and you're an idiot. So I don't understand why she always takes this opinion that, when something is a stupid rule that I think I'm going to say that everyone that disagrees with the person that perpetrated the act, they're all the dumb ones, not the person that 
put these kids' careers at risk. Because make no mistake, Odell Beckham Jr. is putting these kids' careers at risk by handing them cash and you know subjecting them to possible suspensions. It's bad for the school. I can't remember who it was on the radio this week, but they said they should just ban OBJ from all the games. Like If you saw him, not only was he handing out cash, smacked that cop on the butt, but then he was acting completely hammered and – over in like the band, I think it was the band or the student section had taken away a megaphone from somebody that was using it and just yelling obscene stuff into it. And it's like, it's so stupid. I don't, how can you defend it? But we are talking Jamel Hill. So I, I mean, her IQ clearly is not that high. Uh, I, I mean, I'm really getting after it right now. She's probably a good person. I just think her opinions are of someone that does not have a high IQ. So I would tend to agree more with like Damian Woody, who's really hard on players for stupid stuff like this. So with that being said, that's my first rant of the day. I have another rant. Oh, I'm going to get after it during the baseball section, but that's coming up in a few sections. So um, I'm going to go ahead and take a small break here, and then we're going to come back with a little bit of basketball. All right, back with some basketball. And the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that the top five right now, if you are a basketball team that is fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to get into the top five of the rankings for college basketball this year, you can just bank on a loss within your next couple of games. It's just bound to happen. I mean, it's happened how many times this year? Uh, I know that there were a few, there were like four or five number ones that got knocked knocked off. Then Ohio State gets up to like number two, gets blown out by a garbage team, which they've fallen off the rails. So hopefully they can get back on track. Then Oregon loses and Duke lost again. And then Auburn loses to Alabama. It's just like, what in the world? How, how are these top five schools? If anything, it's kind of a testament to college basketball this year. I said, I've said it in a couple episodes now, I think the parody between the teams this year is really really good i mean yeah the you know gonzaga had they only have i think they only have one loss but you know they're in kind of a garbage conference which they they do this pretty much every year they'll lose maybe one game out of conference they might lose one in conference to like saint mary's or something like that but they're going to run train through their conference they're going to have a hard time in the tournament so they might stay number one all year long but for the rest of these teams it's just like I've never seen it happen like this where big 10 schools, especially because I think they're the biggest or the deepest conference. I've never seen big 10 schools, especially struggle this much in conference. Like it's always a gauntlet. It doesn't matter what conference you're in. It's always harder when you're traveling a lot more, you're playing more true away games. It's always going to be harder in conference. So I think the fact that almost every conference this year so far has just been really difficult for a team to separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Um, you know, take the Big Ten. I thought Ohio State was separating themselves, and then they promptly get smoked in like three or four games. And then Michigan State starts to reassert themselves a little bit, and then get smoked by Purdue. And then IU, you think they're going to do pretty well, and then they friggin' lose to Rutgers. Like, what in the world's going on? So, and I addressed this maybe in my first or second episode. I think that part of the reason why the parody has been so good, and I'll say it again, is the fact that with this one and done rule, 
And with today's, you know, media society, today's technology society, I think people are just truly realizing I'll just go whatever to whatever school I want because we're getting enough exposure. Like, yeah, you're always going to have most of your top 10 dudes going, picking between Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, you know, the blue bloods. But for the rest of the guys that, and I always point back to John Morant, and then you have Culver that went to Texas Tech. But John Morant, Murray State, I mean, I, I don't think a whole lot of people would have suspected that you have a guy going number two in the draft from Murray State. So, you know, I think it's good for basketball to have that. I think it's going to make the end of the year much more exciting. One person did say the thing that does suck about it is that you don't have like a guy that you will watch a game for. Like last year, I would watch games of Duke playing just because I wanted to watch Zion Williamson play. I mean, the dude was that transcendent. I just wanted to watch him play. And I think you had it a little bit earlier this year with James Wiseman. Like, I think people would have tuned in to watch Memphis games just to watch because he's a stud. But now that James Wiseman's out, I I don't think there's anybody that you're really tuning in to watch just because you like basketball. I like basketball, but I'm not watching anyone other than my teams right now because there's no one that's separating themselves that I'm like, I got to watch this team play. So I think the parody is awesome. I'm really excited to see if anyone can really separate themselves. I and mean, maybe Gonzaga is the real deal. Who knows? But I mean, you know, teams that are the real deal don't often get blown out by other teams. So we'll see. But the other thing, uh, I'm going to go to the NBA for a couple, a uh, couple minutes here. Oladipo getting ready for all my Pacer fans. Oladipo is returning tw- on the 29th. So. Um, about a week and a half, maybe a little bit longer against the Bulls. So excited for him to come back. I'll keep saying it every single episode until he actually comes back. I'm just jacked up for him to come back. Pacers are well above 500 right now without him. I think it'll take maybe two or three weeks for them to adjust when he gets back. But if they get back or if he gets back, him and Brogdon can stay healthy. Pacers, I legitimately think they're the number two seed. If those two stay healthy the rest of the year, and you give him a little bit of leeway for the first couple of weeks to get their feet, get his feet under himself, I think they're going to be a force. So super excited for that. And like I said, have a couple more episodes till then, and I'm going to say it in probably both of those episodes too. Um, Zion Williamson, close to making his debut as well. This is going to be so big for NBA ratings. It's no secret that their ratings have sucked. I think it was like 26% down was the biggest number that I've seen so far. If if there's been a bigger number that they've dipped, let me know. But I, I'm still confused about the NBA scheduling. Like how I, I get why they scheduled all the Pelicans games to start the year because they're like Zion Williamson. Everyone wants to watch him play in the NBA. If nothing else, just to see how he does. Everyone wants to see his dunks, but even if he doesn't come in and just start doing all kind of windmill 360 reverse through the legs, all that kind of stuff like he was doing in college. Like even if he's not doing that, I still think people just genuinely want to see how this dude gets after it in the NBA because he is kind of undersized. I mean, he's thick. I mean, he's LeBron thick, but he's only about six, 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 seven. So uh, I think the ratings are going to be huge. But like I said, I'm confused as to why they can't flex games like the NFL. Like when the NFL knows what they have, um, coming for next week, they might move you from the 425 slot down to the 130 slot. Or if your teams are on a roll and preseason you were scheduled for 130, they might flex you to the night game because they know it's going to draw ratings. 
I don't understand. I'm sure there's a lot of intricacies that go into it with, you know, like they're on TNT, they're on ESPN, they're on different markets, they're on different um, Fox Sports markets. So there's probably a little bit of, you know, probably more moving parts, I'd say, than what you have in the NFL. But I'm just shocked that, you know, Williamson gets hurt a couple weeks before the year and they can't say, oh, that sucks. Maybe we should take off all of these Pelicans primetime games for a team that is just not good. You know, so I'm kind of shocked about that. Last thing I'll touch on in the NBA, I heard someone talking about it today, um, is this idea of the midseason tournament that they're floating around for um, like a big cash prize. And I could see this benefiting, you know, players that aren't as notable, like your sixth, seventh man and below. But like if I'm a starter and I'm making 10, 12 million a year, yeah, every million helps. Don't get me wrong. If you're giving a cash prize of a million to every player who wins this in-season tournament, great, let's do it. But I just don't see how guys like LeBron, um, guys like Anthony Davis, uh, Jimmy Butler, all the dudes from the 76ers, like why would these guys give – you know, all sorts of effort because they know, oh, I'll make an extra million bucks. Like, like I said, to me, every million counts. I mean, shoot, if anyone's got a spare million laying around, let me know. I gladly take it off your hands. But for these dudes that are making 20 plus, 30 plus a year, yeah, they probably want that million. But when it comes down to it, would they rather rest or would they rather play every single night or every other night for a month for some mid season or during season tournament? So I see that as being more of a, hey, let's rest our starters and let's let our backups go compete for it because, one, they need the money, and or maybe they don't need the money, but they definitely would desire the money more than the starters. So don't see that going anywhere. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. So I'm going to be right back with some baseball. I'm skipping soccer today because right now – um, it's kind of stagnant. It's it's like January. January is like two months rolled into one. So it's a little stagnant. Um, you obviously have your league matches. Not a whole lot changing. So um, I'll briefly touch on why I think Indy should have a new expansion team. But then we're going to hop into baseball and we're going to get after the Astros and this cheating scandal. So I'll be right back. What's up, y'all? So I'm going to go ahead and... All right, in the next segment, like I said, I'm going to skip soccer. Um, I'm not going to talk too much like Premier League or anything like that. I do think, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I'm really disappointed that Indy is not in the group for the next expansion. You have, um, obviously, Nashville and Inter-Miami are going to be coming in next year, and then St. Louis got awarded an expansion team. It's just like, dude, we have a very rabid soccer fan base. I mean, if you look at the Indy 11s, um, if you look at their uh, attendance, um, so the the 11 have been in both the NASL and the USL, both second-tier leagues. And what's disappointing to me about it is when you look at a couple of things that go into expansion, like obviously they want to see, do you have a fan base that's going to support are you going to have enough revenue? Do you have space to build a stadium? And it's like, look, you have the Indy 11 that are submitting proposals. 
to um, the city, not only for a stadium, but like a whole a whole park. Like you have the stadium and then they have apartments that are surrounding the stadium. They have a shopping mall that they're going to be attaching to it if they can get the funding. And the MLS is kind of strongholding them saying like, well, that plan has to be approved before we consider your expansion. And then the city of Indianapolis is like, well, yeah, we'll give it the go ahead. If you say that we can have it, like obviously the revenue from a team being in the MLS is going to be higher than the USL. So if you okay this expansion, we'll give you the thumbs up to start building. But the ML, I, I don't know. It seems like a kind of a strange stronghold that they have going on. But yeah, I, it's kind of disappointing. Um, I wish they would be considered for it. Now I know they're being considered for it, but like their attendance was much higher than St. Louis, who got awarded uh, one of the expansion teams. Like when you look at their average attendance, they're average attendance last year was as high or higher than a couple of the bottom MLS teams. And so obviously that's only going to go up if you have a team in the big leagues of the sport that's in your area. So yeah, I think Indy should get it, especially with their proposal of 11 park. If you haven't seen the proposal for 11 park, go check it out. Um, Cause the Indy 11 released kind of like a, like a digital, um, like a digital roadmap as to how that's going to look where you have the stadium, you have the apartments overlooking the training complex, like all this stuff that they submitted to the city. Um, so check that out. Um, I think they should have one. And like I said, right now I'm a Cincinnati FC fan because, you know, they're closer or closest to Indianapolis. Their colors are cool. And because the only game I've ever been to for the MLS was a Cincinnati FC game. So that's why I'm that. But if Indy were to announce that they have an expansion team, I would be an 11 fan for the MLS just like that. So that's it for that. Just wanted to complain a little bit about why they're not getting an expansion team. But now I want to get after it with this Astros cheating scandal because I feel like we're hearing too much defense of the Astros, to be honest with you. Like, don't get me wrong. There have been several players, especially dudes from the Dodgers, who obviously they beat the Dodgers that year. There have been a lot of players coming out against them. But they're like, did anyone see Jessica Mendoza's take the other day on like how it was dumb that Mike Fires came out against that? Like, are you freaking kidding me? You're basically saying like, oh, they were caught cheating, but you know, what's the the real problem is that now we can't trust Mike Fires, like. How stupid is that? So at what point do you think there needs to be accountability? Like there was someone saying that they were kind of a prominent person on Twitter and they were saying something like, you know, I I think Mike Fires is going to have a tough time being trusted in any major league locker rooms anymore. And it's like, why? Why would you not trust him? One, that's like saying, oh, well, if I cheat, Mike Fires is going to tell on me. Well, one, don't be friends with Mike Fires then. And two, how about you just freaking don't cheat? I mean, that's a really good way to, you know, not get on Mike Fires' bad side. I just couldn't believe that an ESPN host actually said that on live TV. Like she was said it on the Golik and Wingo show that she was confused as to why Mike Fires was bringing it public. And I know some people have said, well, she wasn't saying that. Mike Fires is bad for bringing it public. She was saying that the timing of it was weird because it was benefiting him then, but it's not benefiting him now. So 
I, I understand that, but that doesn't mean like, oh, hey, I know someone that did a crime five years ago, but I should have told them they, you know, they killed somebody. I should have told on them then, but since it's been a while and it's not benefiting me to not tell anymore, I'm just going to go ahead and tell. Like, that, that's just stupid. So I feel like there have just been too many people that are just nonchalant, like, it's just sign stealing. Are you stupid? I would rather steroids be rampant. And I would rather them be doing like every single dude that I face. If I was the only player in the major leagues not doing steroids, I would rather throw against dudes doing steroids than someone that knows exactly what's coming every single pitch. You know what I mean? Like, I honestly can't believe that people would would defend that. Like, and maybe it's people that don't understand well. And don't get me wrong, I said this earlier in the week. We stole signs. I mean, when we were even in college, we stole signs. If we were looking at a coach and we knew that if he, whatever, if he touched his nose and then immediately touched his chest afterwards, that was a steal. If we knew that, we were going to let somebody know. We were going to let our base runners know. We'd huddle around and say, hey, if you're watching the coach, if he touches his nose and then goes to his chest, it means a steal. So catchers, make sure that you're looking for that. When I when you we were on first base as runners, we would have our bodies facing. If you if you see this on video, we'd have our bodies facing the pitcher, but then we would have our eyes peeking in the backfield or not in the backfield in the back towards the catcher. So if the catcher wasn't turned kind of away from the runner on first base, then we were going to pick that sign and we would know. Okay, he's throwing a changeup or a curveball here, so I need to steal. I don't want to steal on fastballs because it gets to the catcher faster. I want to steal on off speed pitches. So we have our body facing the pitcher and have our eyes peeking in towards the catcher. Like we stole signs, but we just weren't doing, you know, we didn't have a video camera out there, you know, or we didn't have someone standing in the trees with a video camera or binoculars and a walkie talkie signaling in something to, (laughs) to the dugout. I just, I, I really don't understand how there's any defense for this. And then you have, Today or yesterday, it was there was a girl claiming to be Carlos Beltran's niece, which um, the family has denied that that's his niece. But this Twitter account has accurately predicted both Beltran's hiring and his firing. And whoever this person is said that Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman were wearing some sort of device on. Um, like inside their jersey that would buzz anytime it was a certain pitch, whether that was fastballs or whether it was breaking balls, it would buzz. So what's shocking to me is, one, how they could get away with that, but two, how do you as a human being, like I said, I understand you wanting to gain every advantage you can, but are you, you're wearing something that can literally tell you exactly what's coming. It's not a guess. It's not an educated guess. It's not AI technology saying, I think that based off of last pitch, he's going to throw this pitch. So we'll signal in it. It's actual real time saying, Hey, fastball coming. And sometimes I wonder like, dude, this team is so good at hitting guys that throw so hard. Like in the majors. Yeah. You have a lot of guys throwing really hard, you know, throwing upper nineties, touching triple digits. It's, it's crazy how many guys do that. But it just seemed like it did not bother these guys. And it's like, well, no wonder if they had to sit there and think, okay, it might be 100 or I might see a 90-mile-an-hour slider or I might see a 90-mile-an-hour changeup 
or it might be a hundred mile an hour fastball. If you have all that going through your head, you're not turning around upper nineties and a hundred miles an hour like these guys were. So to people that don't think it was a big deal, like someone was saying, Oh, well, it's still hard to hit the pitch. Yeah, it's still hard to hit the pitch, but how is it if if I were to tell you exactly what I'm throwing every single pitch, how does that make it you know, okay, or how does that not make it more easy? So I mean, I I don't know. I'm just I'm so upset with all this and props to the major leagues right now because the suspensions that they handed out to Hinch and Linnell and then um or punishing the Astros for what they did. Um, then you got Alex Cora, who I guess they quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes right now, mutually agreed or mutually parted ways with the Red Sox because supposedly he was like the mastermind behind all this. And then you have Carlos Beltran, who is out now as the Mets manager. I, I'm of the firm belief that major leagues is trying to get ahead of this. Unlike they did against the steroid era. I think what happened in that era was they got caught sitting on their hands and they might suspend someone every now and then, but they didn't react with as swift and harsh of a punishment as they should for people cheating. And with their actions against the Astros and then with some people speculating that the punishment for Cora is going to be even more than uh, what Hinch and Lanau got, I think that the MLB, I, I give them props. I do think they're trying to catch up for the mistakes that they made in that era by saying, oh, it's a form of cheating, so you're going to be banned for a certain amount of time. Whereas with steroids, you know, it's like a 50-game or 80-game suspension and then a full season and then you're out. With this situation, I think they're basically saying, look, we're going to ban you for a year, but if you do it again, you're done. So – We'll see how that keeps going. I had a friend today tweet that he thinks that if those players are going to be okay wearing devices like that, then they should be okay wearing fastballs in the ribs, basically. And I've expressed my feelings before on this show about throwing at hitters, how much I hate it. But I 100% agree. If you're going to cheat, then don't get mad when someone throws 95 at your upper back. Like, I'm I'm completely against that mindset, but at the same time, it's like, don't freaking cheat. Like, the amount of things that we probably don't know happen, like if the Astros are just coming in, if they're playing a team in division that, that they're just lighting up because you play against your teams in the division a lot more than everyone else. If you're just lighting this dude up every time, then a team might send him down to the minors. They might cut him. They might trade him. Like that's the kind of stuff that I don't think people are getting is that's what might've happened to some of these guys because the Astros decided to cheat and they inflated their numbers. So I saw someone the other day that said, I'd like all of my uh, pitching performances against the Astros stricken from my record. Cause it's pretty dreadful. So, I mean, seriously, I, I don't know what you do about it. I don't, I don't think you vacate world series and stuff because it's already happened. I mean, you can't just say there was no World Series winner. They won the World Series, but it'll just have a very large asterisk next to it. So that all sucks. But if anybody follows the Facebook page or follows me on LinkedIn, I actually, the last segment I have is going to be about gaming. So I don't know if any of you knew this. Certainly my parents did, um, and they would not be happy with it. But I'm adding in a gaming segment on the end of the shows because I just, I love, I enjoy it. 
and I've recently gotten back into one of the games that I like to play a lot in college. And, you know, my excuse is going to be, look, there was a Fortnite guy last year that won like $3 million, So, and there's Twitch people, people on the Twitch gaming, like streaming platform that are making tons of money. So, hey, I'm going to just – I'm going to use that as my example. So uh, I'm going to take one more short break and come back with some gaming. So hang in there. All right, y'all. So back here with some gaming talk and this specific game that I will be chatting about. I've, if I follow some other games, I'll chat about those too. But I will specifically be talking about League of Legends because it is the game that I fell in love with in college. It is um, a combat game that there's different modes that you can play. But if you follow gaming at all, you know what League of Legends is. Millions, millions of players uh, worldwide, probably more over um, like overseas than there even are in the U.S. But we would play this game so much in college. I remember so many times it'd always be like, well, we can't end on that one. We lost. So we have to keep going. And then when we win, it's like, Oh, we're on a hot streak. So we have to keep going. We play like two, three in the morning only on Fridays when we didn't have stuff to do the next day. Of course, mom and dad, that's what we did. But this game, uh, we loved playing it. We've played, we played thousands and thousands of games. So, Essentially what I did, I started a Twitch channel, which for those of you that are not familiar, Twitch is a platform. It's it's kind of like YouTube, but it's used predominantly by gamers um, because gamers have to have a way of making money too. So a lot of them will stream on Twitch and on YouTube and stuff like that. But I started a Twitch channel. I'm going to try to stream a couple times a week. So if you're into gaming, you can follow my journey through League of Legends I used to have an account that was ranked, but I, I, I mean, I never made it out of bronze level, so I, I wasn't very good, but I started a brand new account because basically I can't remember any of my passwords. So there are some that will say, or quite frankly, I can't even remember the email addresses I used with it because I will, I'll, I'll put this was my username or this was my, my email and do a reset password sort of thing. And unfortunately it either can't, it can't find that email or I get a reset link, but it doesn't work. There's just been, I've, I've tried hundreds of different emails, not hundreds, literally I'm exaggerating, but I've tried pretty much every email I can ever remember having and I can't figure it out. So I started a new one. If you'd like to friend me on League of Legends, it's just backwards hat pod, all lowercase. That's my username. And on Twitch TV, it's backwards hat pod. Um, so you can find me on Twitch as well if you'd like to follow me on there. But starting League of Legends, I'm like, I'd like to bring everyone along with my gaming journey as well. Uh, basically, just trying to find more ways to let people into the life. So that's why I started the podcast and I have the YouTube channel now I have a Twitch channel so it's going to be fun I'm I'm really excited to to get involved with Twitch and see kind of how that world works um I will say that my primary character and people are probably going to laugh if you follow gaming at all is Ash simply because she is by far the easiest character to play on the game I mean you, you can argue there are probably some that are easier or close to the same you know 
Warwick is really easy because you basically just maul people the whole time with him. But Ash, it's like she has one good ability. Her frost, or her, um, I can't remember what it's called, but her ultimate, it's it's really good in like team fights, and it can it can start a lot of ganks, which is really good. But basically, unless you have her volley, um, that's about the only ability she has. She's really slow, but she's just easy to play. So that's honestly why I played her so much. Um, over the years, pretty much every game that we ever played as a team, I was always chosen as ADC, and I used Ash every time. So, yeah, Ash was fun, and I basically I don't have her unlocked right now in uh, my champions because I'm only at level seven. So I started on uh, oh what was it? It wasn't yesterday. It was um, Wednesday was when I started the new account and. I I had Misfortune unlocked, and then I've also unlocked Ari and Aatrox. So um, pretty much those three, and then the free champions are what I'm using right now. I'm trying to use a variety, so that way if I can get to level 30 again, I can use, or I know how to use them. So even if I suck with them right now, I'll be able to use them at some point in the future um, and be somewhat competent with them. But for right now, I'm I'm always about ADC. I mean, who, what's not to like about ADC? You have, uh, other than them being a little squishy, you have you know tremendous poke. Usually at the end of games, you're just completely dominating people unless you uh, you know get into a battle with bruisers, which you know smart players won't do. But I just think ADC is more fun. I mean, I like ADC, and then I like jungling, and then if I had to do a third one, I'd probably pick support because I'm really not good. Um, with bruisers and melee guys on top. I've never really used many ability power um, type champions. I'm not a whole lot of casters. So I, if I use someone that uses a lot of AP, I'll use Teemo um, for the same reason. He's, he's not an ADC, but he kind of acts like one. He's got, he's got a range. He's got a lot of poke. So um, that's why I would use him as an AP I've used Morgana a lot. Um, let me see who else have I used. Basically, I'm decent with almost every ADC though. When it comes to Ash, I'm good with Misfortune. I'm not as good with Caitlyn, but I need to get better with her because she's, you know, she's really hard to counter. Um, she's she's really really tough right now. So um, I like to use her. Now it has been a long time since I've logged in, but. Um, I will say there are a lot of new champions since the last time that I played. So I'd really like to start learning the new champions as well. Um, that way, when we get to level 30, um, I won't be out cold and not know anything about these champs. So really the last time, and this is bad, but the last time that I really studied up and researched and got good with a brand new character was honestly when Aatrox came out. When Aatrox came out, he was obviously a stud, and I, you know, he, I can't remember if he went through the free champions or if I just had enough uh, points to be able to unlock him. But that was the last time that I've really been all in on a new character or a new champion, and um, so yeah, I, that's quite a while ago. So I have a lot of characters and champions to catch up on. So we'll see. I'm I'm excited to see how all that goes. Um, 
for all the non-gamers that are still listening, I appreciate you sticking around because, you know, most of this is going to sound like a foreign language if you haven't played League of Legends before. But last point about gaming that I want to make is it's fun to be back in the lower levels because against team guys that aren't that great, you can obviously dominate. But I've found that probably over half of those accounts are just Smurf accounts. Like, for those of you that don't know, a Smurf account is someone that basically was ranked at a really high level and they created another account kind of like mine. Mine's a Smurf account because I used to be ranked and now I'm playing with a character or champion and a ranking that I'm not anymore. But um, yeah, I, I really think that it kind of sucks for the lower levels for the players that are trying to learn the game because I would say in my experience, I've played maybe 10 or 15 games since, uh, since Wednesday. And it seems like there are at least half of the champions in every game are Smurfs. So that kind of sucks. And then of course, one thing that is bad about league of legends is you get a lot of people that just act like idiots in the chat box. Like the second that you do something dumb, they're just all over you riding you the whole game like, it is nonstop. I specifically specifically remember one match. I had Ash, and the other person had Caitlyn, and Caitlyn just mashes Ash. So she countered me with Caitlyn, and I just got destroyed. I mean, from the very beginning. I was first, I was first blood, so she killed me first. And then after that, I just I couldn't get in a rhythm. I, I wasn't very good at farming at that time. Um because I couldn't really get close to Caitlyn and she just kept destroying me. And so I kid you not, there was one person, they were mid and they, you could tell they were decent and they probably were a Smurf, but just the entire game long, they rode me. Ash, you suck. Ash, delete. Ash, exit and delete. Ash, throw your computer away. And it's like, oh my gosh. So I know you can, you can mute the chat box, but it's like, holy cow, I could not believe. It's like worse than Twitter. Twitter, if you have a, dif- a differing opinion, people will just blast you. I think it's worse like because they won't stop. Eventually, Twitter will stop, but they, they don't stop. Every time you die, Ash, you suck. Every time you die again, or if you die again, Ash, delete. Ash, leave and delete. Like, oh my gosh, it's terrible. But anyways, that's it for gaming. That's all I got for that. For those of you that want to listen to more gaming, like always, I'll put it in the show notes when that's going to be. Um, but I'm wrapping up for the day. Um, like I said earlier at the beginning, please like our Facebook page. Um, if you like the whole Facebook Live um, and YouTube thing as well that I have going recording each episode, let me know. Like our Facebook page, though. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, LinkedIn. Um, follow our YouTube channel because we're going to be posting these on there as well. We're going to try to get a little bit more involved with that. But uh, lastly, text us on WhatsApp at 317-798-9969. Like I said, I got my first WhatsApp message earlier today, so please make sure to like us on that. Um, share us with your friends. If you think anybody um, would be interested in a new perspective, you know, hopefully mine's good enough for them, but if you think anyone would be interested, just let them know to follow our podcast, just Backwards Hat Podcast. Um, the best place to do that would probably be Anchor because it's free. You don't have to pay anything for um, to listen to episodes like you do with Spotify. So, yeah, just follow us. And other than that, I hope you all have a phenomenal weekend. Thank you for tuning in to the Backwards Hat Podcast. 
What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Backwards Hat Podcast. After much deliberation, preparation, thought collecting, etc., etc., I've come to the decision that the Backwards Hat Podcast will feature the XFL for the rest of this season during our Monday episode. Friday episodes will have a little bit of XFL preview for the games that coming weekend, but it will also contain thoughts on other sports, other hot topics, but our Monday episode is going to be heavy on the XFL. I decided over the weekend that I'm all in on this league, and I'll explain why later in this episode. So, instead of covering anything that I've missed these first couple of weeks of the year, I am deciding that today is a clean slate and we're going to go full steam ahead with the XFL. First and foremost, before we get going, please make sure to follow us on all our social media accounts to stay updated on new episodes um, on Fridays, just so you have a little more clear depiction of what we're going to be talking about. I will be posting that on social media before the episode goes live. Um, You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, LinkedIn. You can like our Facebook page. That's where I probably post the most right now. And make sure to text us on WhatsApp at 317-798-9969. Make sure to send the text through WhatsApp, however, uh, because that's where I will actually respond from. And with that being said, let's get today's episode started. So as I said before, I am absolutely all in on the XFL right now. I did watch almost all four games this weekend. I watched the first three and then half of the fourth game because we had a prior commitment that started right as the fourth game started. So I got to catch the tail end of that game. But I think that the XFL had an unbelievable opening weekend. I did see a statistic where they have already surpassed, this year in in ticket sales, they've already surpassed what the American Alliance of Football did during their entire campaign last season. Granted, the XFL has been uh, planning this a little bit longer. They have a little bit better funding. So I'm not really surprised by that. There has been a little bigger buildup to the XFL. But I'm going to tell you why I think they're going to make it. Not just this year, not just a couple years. Why I think this is a long-term league here to stay. Number one, they have funding that no other startup league has had. Um, I was reading online today that Vince McMahon sold $100 million of his WWE stock and has pledged $500 million of his personal fortune to fund the XFL, which obviously is more than enough to keep this league afloat for the time being. Um, the big thing is uh, payroll. I mean, every company in the world, that's their big thing is payroll. But seeing that the players, you know, you know they're not being paid badly, but they're also not being paid millions of dollars. So um, I think that savings is going to help the league stay afloat for a little while while they can garner more TV deals, TV contracts. But they're way more funded than the AAF um, ever was. So I think that's a good start. Two, they are not really trying to be a sideshow novelty like they were um, in the early 2000s. The last version of the XFL had a little too much X and not enough FL, if you know what I mean. Um, The games this weekend, I think, were very competitive football games. It was not an entertainment or like an entertainment show, um, which is kind of what I think it was going for the first time around. Now, granted, football is always entertaining, and you want to have you know good halftime shows, good you know cheerleaders, music, stadium presence, all that kind of stuff. You want all that, but the product on the field 
it has to match what you're doing um, and what you're presenting to the public. And I think they absolutely did that. Um, I think real football fans um, can say that this stood up to the competitive nature of what people expect when they're watching this sport. The third reason is that they are not trying to compete with the NFL. Uh, I, I was a little too young to follow much of the XFL uh, while it was happening in 2000, 2001. But I did watch a documentary on ESPN Plus about, uh, it was called This Was the XFL, just kind of going over things that you know they, they were about when they first started. And the big overarching theme was the fact that they kept going after this idea that the XFL is everything the NFL is not. The NFL is wimpy and we're gonna have players, you know, bone crunching hits. You're gonna have almost naked cheerleaders all the time dancing around. You're gonna have all this crap that I just don't think real football fans wanted to see. It's kind of, it's kind of like the integrity argument of the sport, like in golf, yeah, you want dudes that get the crowd riled up when they make a good shot, but at the end of the day, the crowd still knows the rules. Don't talk when a guy's on his backswing. Don't be yelling at players. Like I think it was the same thing with football. Like you want you want bone crunching hits. You want some entertainment value. But I think that football etiquette was really really being tested with what the XFL was trying to bring. So um, there, there. This time around was not a. This is why we're so much better than the NFL. Blah blah blah. Um, this time they're really presenting themselves as, hey, we're the XFL. We're not the NFL. We're not uh, a feeder league to the NFL. We're not trying to compete with anyone. We're just simply trying to fill a gap that's missing for fans. Everyone has the Monday blues after the Super Bowl. There's no doubt about it. We all know that we're going to have to wait months before we get football again. But I think the timing of this league is perfect because you have something fresh and new starting right at the end of football season where everyone's craving it. And four, I do think their name recognition is much better this time around. You have guys like, uh, let, let's start with the quarterbacks. I mean, you have Cardale Jones, Philip Walker, Aaron Murray, Matt McGloin, Josh Johnson, guys that have been around the block and countless other players that have all competed at a very high level. Um, I believe it was Greg McElroy in the booth uh, on this Saturday that said most of these guys are at least equivalent to practice squad guys on NFL rosters. They're maybe even comparable to guys, you know, that are maybe number 45 through 53 on an NFL active roster. Now, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. Otherwise, I I feel like a a smart GM would have found them. But I'm definitely saying these guys are, these guys are at least practice squad guys. Cardell Jones and Phillip Walker specifically, Josh Johnson's been around the league. I mean, these are good quality players and good quality name recognition coaches that they have as well. And, uh, you know, Bob Stoops, that's a huge name. Pep Hamilton, huge name. Um, Kilbride, huge game, a huge name. So I just think that they're doing everything right to start out with this league. Here are some of the main reasons, though, that I personally loved what I saw this week, and not just not just you know why I think the league will last, but some of the things that I really loved this weekend as far as rules go. I think the kickoffs are absolutely genius. I mean, you're still encouraging a huge part of the game. Uh, it's the field position battle of special teams. I mean, it is undeniable that you need special teams. It seems like the NFL is doing everything that they can to take the kickoffs out of the game. I mean. 
granted, they're not talking about getting rid of it, but I mean, you already see it in the Pro Bowl. They don't do kickoffs. They've moved the kick the kicker up five yards so that it's virtually a touchback every time now some kickers are smartening up and they're just kicking it really high trying to get it just inside the five yard line um, to where their defense can get down there in time but i think that this method for those of you that didn't watch essentially the kicker is kicking off from the 30 and then you have the returner on the other side but then you have the offensive like the return team at their own 30 and you have the kickoff team lining up at the opposing 35 so they're they're only five yards away from each other and neither team can move until the ball is caught by the returner so you're still encouraging a a return it's a huge part of the game but you're limiting the big collisions from guys running 60 yards down the field i honestly of all the rules that the xfl has i think the nfl needs to adopt this one um i think this one takes away uh the injury factor i mean it's football guys might get injured still on this play but the nfl has expressed serious concern about guys getting injured especially on kickoffs stuff like that so i think this is by far the most innovative way that you can handle kickoffs and still flip field position still give big play guys a chance to make a big play in the return game but you limit injuries because there just are not massive collisions like you see all the time on sundays so um yeah I, i think this is my favorite rule change for sure two the touchbacks being penalized now hear me out i do not think that the penalty for a touchback or um, a kickoff going out of bounds should be as drastic as it is Um, i do however like the encouragement for getting more chances to return the ball and flip the field position but um, touchbacks on punts and kickoffs that go out of bounds there's a bunch of other rules surrounding like if the ball bounces and then goes in the end zone or if it's kicked short of the 20 a bunch of that stuff i'm just talking about strictly balls going out of bounds on kickoffs or touchbacks from punts the team will get the ball at the opposing 45 yard line i think that's way too drastic i mean i i would understand something like they get the ball at their own 40 yard line um i mean that that would make perfect sense to me it's still giving them a huge field position advantage but it's not essentially guaranteeing a field goal if you can just gain seven or eight yards or get one first down you're almost guaranteeing a field goal but with them getting the ball at their own 40 or their own 45 they still have to work for it but it gives the defense at least a solid chance Um, but i do like the fact that it is penalized so that we are encouraging more returns so i i'm on board with that i do like the point after touchdowns if for no other reason then it's just different it's unique to the xfl i don't necessarily think this is something the nfl should adopt but i think this is the single rule that is going to affect strategy the most um now you're only 45 to 50 percent likely to get the point after from the two yard line and then obviously you can go for two from the five and you can go for three points from the 10 so this will definitely keep games somewhat within reach and keep teams from giving up too early it'll keep fans from giving up too early Uh, one of the tweets i saw from the xfl during the second game on saturday had said that this 17 point game that we have going is still only a two score game Um, on all conventional terms the nfl that is a three score game but with the xfl you can get 
an eight-point touchdown and a nine-point touchdown. Um, obviously, it's very unlikely, but you still have a shot. It's a two-possession game. So, um, yeah, I really like that. And then lastly, as far as the rules go, I do like the running clock regardless of the outcome of the play. So an incomplete pass or um, someone runs out of bounds, basically they have a 25-second play clock that continuously runs. The only time it stops is obviously timeouts, and then they stop it at the end of each play to set the ball, and then it will continue running. So I really liked that. I, I can't imagine that this is probably really difficult for QBs, especially guys coming from pro systems where they have to get up and make their pre-snap reads, pre-snap checks, moving guys around. I bet you that's really tough with a 25-second play clock. But I do love that this keeps the game moving. And Pat McAfee actually pointed out that with the 25-second play lock, teams are going to have to get the clock to about a minute 12 left in the game to be able to run it or take four knees um, to finish off the game. Right now in the NFL, if you can get to two minutes and the other team can't stop the clock again, you can virtually run the game out. Now you have to get the clock to a minute 12, um, and that's factoring in the 25-second play clock, but also a few seconds for each play and then you can run the play clock out. So it will give the defense that much more of a chance to make a stop and to be able to get the ball back for the team. So overall, I'm loving all these rules aside from the huge penalties for uh, touchbacks and out-of-bounds punts and kickoffs. So the biggest reason, though, outside of the rules that I loved this weekend and think there's going to be continued success is a combination of two things. So one, I think the social media presence of these teams has been absolutely phenomenal. It's no secret the world is going to their phones. TV is going to people's phones. Um, ads are on people's phones. And social media is, you just can't not do it. If you want to be a successful business in 2020 and beyond, you can't not be doing social media some way, shape, or form. Unless you're in the service business, which I do understand a little bit, but still, it would never hurt your business growth to be able to do that. So. I, I follow all of these teams on Twitter. I follow the XFL main account. I follow some of the teams on other accounts, and their posting is just phenomenal. Their, their content is great, but they also post probably as much or more than the NFL teams that I follow. And anyone that's social media savvy right now knows that social platforms, their algorithms are favoring quantity right now. So the fact that they're posting so often and having such quality content, um, I think it really bodes well for the XFL, at least garnering that attention. Speaking of social media, I do think it was fascinating that the St. Louis Battlehawks have by far the most followers of all the Twitter accounts, at least as of uh, Saturday before the game started. Now, they did get a huge win, so that could have boosted them big time. But the last that I checked, they had 52,000 followers on Twitter, and I think the second closest was like 43 or 44, maybe 45, and that was, I believe, D.C. So um, big big props to St. Louis, their uh, social media team really getting after it. So hats off to the XFL marketing strategies. And two, I think the football itself was just great. I mean, there was enough scoring to make it exciting. Um, the play clock kept the, the game moving along, 
And really, aside from the bonehead play that the Battlehawks made on Marquette King's punt um, and a few too many drop passes, which, by the way, I would absolutely expect that in an NFL preseason game, maybe their first game of the year, getting used to things, getting used to timing. I, I completely get that. So I don't think that's really anything out of the ordinary. I think this was really highly competitive football. They played fast. These guys hit. I mean, there was so many big hits on on uh, the games this weekend. And I don't think that the XFL is going for unsafe. Like, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, that was a great hit. Wait till he has CTE in a few years. Wow, wow, you're really celebrating the XFL for that. I mean, they reviewed a couple of plays that looked like forcible helmet contact and um, none of them were turned over but I do think they still have rules in place to keep the players safe like they're not just saying oh it's just everyone for themselves you can pile on afterwards you can die forward straight with the crown of your helmet like they're still protecting their players so anyone that says that is obviously not watching the games or not reading the rules so but they have big hits and overall I just think it was really exciting to watch I am incredibly curious to see how the excitement will stand the test of time um there's either going to be so much excitement that it went so well that ratings will boost a little bit or I think people could say okay the XFL is here now we're getting into the routine of things and I think it might dip a little bit that's what I think it's going to do it's going to dip but I don't think it will dip to the point of losing sponsorships losing TV deals um, that kind of thing so I, I think people were really really impressed with what the XFL offered this weekend so Let's talk about the games and some of the teams specifically. The final scores from this weekend on Saturday, the D.C. Defenders beat the Seattle Dragons 31-19. The New York Guardians defeated the Tampa Bay Vipers 23-3. Rough performance offensively there from Tampa Bay. Houston Roughnecks uh, beat the L.A. Wildcats 37-17. And the St. Louis Battlehawks, the surprise of the weekend, beat the Dallas Renegades 15-9. And if you follow me on social media, you know that I chose to support the D.C. Defenders as my team this year, mostly because I have major FOMO, or fear of missing out, those of you that don't understand the reference, but for a couple other reasons. One, proximity. So me being in Indianapolis, obviously St. Louis is the closest team to me, but D.C. is the second closest. And reasons two and three, I think, make up for the fact that they're not the closest. So two, they have the most amount of Ohio State Buckeyes on their squad. Obviously, Ohio State's my team, so i got to support the Bucks wherever they go. Um, they have Cardale Jones, Tracy Sprinkle, and Duran Grant. And they also have Simi Cobbs, who went to IU, which I always root for IU whenever they're not playing against Ohio State. So, um, yeah, it's always good to root for the guys from Indiana as well. And then three, uh, I have a kind of distant connection with Pep Hamilton. So his daughter, for a period of time while he was the coordinator, the offensive coordinator uh, for the Colts, his daughter went to Park Tudor where me and my sisters went. And uh, my little sister Riley was pretty good friends with Pep's daughter. And she always had amazing things to say about the family. They, they seem like really great people. So... 
uh, yeah, I, I love rooting for him because he's a he's a good guy and just you know, like I said, a distant connection. It's not like I know him personally, but you know, any connection that I can make um, with somebody, it's always fun. So I love seeing Pep succeed. Um, first and foremost for this season, I do think Cardale Jones is going to be the league MVP this year. Um, I do think Philip Walker is going to give him a run for his money. And no, I'm not just basing this strictly off the fact that they both had a great performance in week one. Um, I think if you asked anyone that's been tracking the XFL this offseason, most of them, probably 75% of them would have chosen Cardale Jones before this year started. But I just think his traits are so good. And with some real playing time that he just hasn't gotten in the NFL, and really in college either. He got the three starts and then got a start or two in the following season after his championship. Nothing really doing in the NFL. I think he's going to flourish. Um, he's obviously got the arm strength. He's got the athleticism. He is still a good runner for his size. So I think he's going to flourish in this league. Um, I do love seeing Philip Walker. Uh, had that performance to open up the year um, as a Colts fan he spent some time off and on the Colts practice squad he's always seemed like a really good guy I followed him on Twitter for quite a while he's usually uplifting with all of his posts so I really like rooting for this guy in fact I have chosen the Houston Roughnecks as my second favorite team because they're in the West Division and I'm, like I said, I'm 100% on board with the DC Defenders. But when they're not playing the Roughnecks, I'm going to root for the Roughnecks in all other games. Um, and if the Defenders happen to not be in the championship or for some reason didn't make the playoffs, I'm going to roll with the Roughnecks simply because I want to see Philip Walker do well because he's got that connection to the Colts. So just, just stating that out there, that way at the end of the year, nobody can holler at me on WhatsApp or anything and say I'm a bandwagon fan. I declared the Defenders as my number one team before the year even started and I'm making sure that everyone knows if I post excitement for the Roughnecks as well this is why so just wanted to get that out there I think one thing that is a little bit hard to judge about the teams that got beat this weekend is the fact that a couple of them uh, had some pretty serious injuries to deal with. So um, the Dallas Renegades were without Landry Jones, which coming from Oklahoma is used to more of an air raid offense that I think Bob Stoops was trying to run. So I'm going to hold the jury out a little bit on the Renegades. Um, their defense really didn't play that bad. So with Landry Jones, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to perform. Um, this was, however, a big, big win for St. Louis, who was a nine-and-a-half-point underdog coming into the game. So by all means, a great start to their XFL careers. I am a little bit perplexed as to how the lines got so big. Like, I do understand that you can look at the, the makeup of the roster and of the coaching staff and kind of guess based on talent how it's going to be, but I'm just shocked that you could have possibly had a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the defenders were a nine-and-a-half-point point favorite as well. So I was really shocked to see the, the betting lines get that wide, but nonetheless, big win for the Battle Hawks. Also, the L.A. Wildcats were missing Josh Johnson, and they had to start Charles Knopf, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Knopf could not shut his mouth during the game. He was the one player this weekend that really ticked me off. 
I always, for some reason, there's always a villain when I'm watching a game. I, I don't know. I'm weird like that. But, I mean, the dude, he was arguing with his coach um, when they had the live mic on. He was yelling at receivers. And it's like, dude, you're the backup for your squad. Probably not the best look for you to be getting in arguments with people so yeah that was that was interesting but josh johnson he's been around the block quite a few times with some nfl squads Um, he actually also played in uh played in indianapolis so yeah i'm curious to see what they're going to be with him i want to hold the jury out a little bit on them one quick note about the wildcats so after one week they have already decided to part ways with their defensive coordinator pepper jones and i mean i know they did lose 37 to 17 by all means that's that's not a good performance by your defense but that's uh that's a pretty quick trigger i mean the xfl they didn't have anything on their website about whether or not he'd been replaced yet but that's a really quick trigger from winston moss who is la's head coach and general manager for this to come after the first game of the season it really leads me to believe that there were some signs there some glaring issues before the game that really just manifested in a way that winston moss must have seen coming to make a decision so quickly but still it's it's kind of shocking to see that after just one week my wrap-up to the show is one suggestion i could have or I would have made if the XFL ever asked, which, hey, if they're hiring, I would love to work for this league. I, I'm just, I'm jacked about it. So if they ever asked me, this is what I would have had to say. I would have tried to stay in some of the smaller stadiums that a few of these teams did. Um, I like that DC was at Audi Field where the capacity is 20,000, and I believe they had just over 17 for their game. So, um, you know, pretty full stadium by most standards, and I think stadium atmosphere feels better when it's filled closer to capacity, whereas you have someone like the Seattle Dragons who are going to be playing at CenturyLink, which has a capacity of 72,000. Uh, I mean, they could have 25 or 30,000 fans show up. And look, by all means, that's going to be a success. That's big-time revenue for them. But it just really detracts from the atmosphere. Uh, I mean, I, I think it would make it look and feel empty and maybe give the wrong impression about the support that your team's receiving. Um, like I said, even if they had 25 to 30,000, I'm sure they would not complain because of the revenue. But I would have maybe looked for, you know, more soccer stadiums like D.C. did or if you have some college football fields close to you like the Roughnecks did with the University of Houston. Other than that, really the only thing that I didn't like was the touchback slash kick out of bounds rule. But like I said, 100 percent, I am all out, all freaking out on this league. So going forward, I'm super pumped to be essentially covering this league. I mean, I'm not a credentialed reporter by any means, but I'm going to follow this league very closely. I am an entrepreneur at heart, so I love seeing things be built from the ground up. I love reading the stories about what they've had to go through to get this thing started, what they're going to have to go through to keep it afloat. So I'm just really excited about this league. So that's all I have for you all today. Like I said earlier, follow me on all of our social media apps. 
um, or all of our platforms, that is. Text us on WhatsApp as I would love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the show, on the XFL itself, uh, maybe some topic ideas that you guys would like to hear. Um, make sure to text us that on WhatsApp or hit us up on our social media platforms. So hope you all have a phenomenal rest of your week, and thank you for tuning in to the Backwards Hat Podcast.